Hello, and welcome to Music City Songwriter, the podcast where we talk to the songwriters weaving the fabric of Music City USA itself, good old Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Matt Bednarski, and today on the podcast we have Billy Montana. Billy Montana has achieved four number one country records. Lee Bryce's Hard to Love, Garth Brooks' More Than a Memory, Sarah Evans' Suds in the Bucket, and Jody Messina's Bring on the Rain. Bring on the Rain was nominated for awards by both the Recording Academy, otherwise known as the Grammys, and the Country Music Association and reached number six on the Adult Contemporary Chart. It appeared on the country and AC charts for a combined total of 66 weeks. Suds in the Bucket was the most played country song by a female artist of 2004, and More Than a Memory is the fastest rising single in the history of country music, debuting at number one on both the Billboard and R&R charts. Many prominent artists have recorded Billy's songs, including Kenny Chesney, Martina McBride, Tim McGraw, Jason Aldean, Garth Brooks, Lee Bryce, David Nail, Pat Green, Jody Messina, Sarah Evans, Blake Shelton, Trace Atkins, Eli Young Band, Kelly Pickler, Emmylou Harris, Vince Gill, Sister Hazel, Steve Holy, Kenny Rogers, and Lee Ann Womack. This was quite the conversation. I really hope you enjoy my talk with Billy Montana. <laughs> All right, Billy Montana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, I start every podcast like this, and I will start the same way. Billy, what is your story? Wow. I, uh, I'm i a songwriter. Okay. Moved to Nashville from upstate New York about 30 years ago. I came on the heels of having a record deal. I had, I had signed a record deal with a band mm-hmm. uh, on Warner Brothers Records in the mid-'80s. And when we we didn't have the commercial success to maintain the record deal, but I developed relationships with um, you know some of the publishers sure. and some of the people that were inside the business, kind of learned how the business worked. And so even though you know we didn't move here uh, during the time of the record deal, which was actually I'm really glad we didn't because it would have. It wouldn't have been so cool to move my family down here mm-hmm. and then lose the deal. But mm-hmm. uh, having the having the record deal taught me a little bit about the workings of the publishing and songwriting business. Yeah. And so I was able to get into some doors that I don't think I could have gotten into publisher-wise if I was just knocking on doors off the street. I had a little bit of a, of a name. Hmm. Um, and so it was easier for me to land a publishing deal. While I still lived in upstate New York, I landed a deal here in uh, Nashville. What so, was the name of the band? Billy Montana and the Longshots. Okay, and were you touring regionally and gained buzz and that's how the record deal happened? Yeah, actually, we, it was a band called Southbound prior to the Longshots. And, um, and we did. We developed a regional following, made an independent record hmm. that landed on the desk of an A&R rep here cool. in Nashville. And then, you know, they they came up to watch us play and we had our home crowd and home field advantage and hmm. ended up signing a deal from far away. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the classic way that is kind of rare these days, but it's, it's tried and true. You did it, you got a big following and then got the people here. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, we we rehearsed a lot. We were well rehearsed, and it paid off. Sure. And even though that band didn't have the success that we had wanted and dreamed of and envisioned, um, it was definitely the stepping stone, you know, for me to be able to be sitting here with you today. Yeah. You know? 
Well, let's even take a step before the band. You know, growing up, what were you listening to? How did music and songwriting just become part of who you are? It's interesting that uh, they had this uh, format called vinyl. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. And and the records were big, and you could actually read the liner notes. I think they're the, dinner plates today. They I think call that's them? okay. Yeah, maybe right. that's what, gotcha. they're, what they're about. But I was always uh, I found myself. So I was listening to music like Jackson Brown, sure. uh, who's a poet and um, just a great, you know, introspective type songwriter. Hmm. Um, Eagles were always big to me because their songs. I think went way deeper than what was on the surface, okay. you know, than what, and they were, they were, they felt good, but they were, they had some deep meaning to yeah. them. And so I would, uh, and then guys like Fogelberg and I don't know who was a popular guy at that time, James Taylor. Sure. That, that was the kind of music that I was cutting my teeth on. And I, I found myself reading liner notes to see who wrote the songs. Like I was actually more curious about, you know, who had the, where did the seed come from? Like, where did the seed for the song come from? Who had that going on? Who was it that was saying those things? And so sometimes, you know, sometimes a recording artist is just a, a performer is just a deliverer. Yeah. Uh, the real, to me, the real meat and potatoes is in the song. Agreed. Yeah. And so you're reading these liner notes, and when did you first start songwriting? You know, when did when did you actually try your hand at it? When I met a girl. All right. When you had inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Fair I just enough. wanted to try to write something about her. About her or for her? Uh, both. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so it really it wasn't like I was probably a t- like a teenager, 17, I really tried to, um, I really started out thinking that I was writing a poem and I actually uh, gave my quote unquote poem to uh, my, a TA, an English TA, teaching assistant, where I was going to college. My freshman year, I went to Arizona State out in Tempe, Arizona, and um, so I gave the TA this poem, and he actually, for a critique, and he said it actually lends itself more to being a song than a poem. Hmm. And I was like, really? Wow. So I didn't play guitar at the time, I played bass guitar. Yeah. I didn't play six string guitar. And so I uh, put a melody to it, um, to this poem. Uh, just by playing the root on the bass guitar. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, and kind of turned it into a song. Yeah, and when you would play it, you would literally play it with the bass? Oh, yeah. Did it cause you to learn to play guitar? Do you like, I got to figure yeah. this out? Yeah, songwriting really steered me in the direction of, of learning how to play guitar. But but it's interesting, I just had a conversation with a, with a guy not too long ago who's a great guitar player, but he says he writes on bass sometimes because uh, yeah. you don't want to limit yourself you don't want to limit your melodies to what your capabilities are doing hmm. you know i'm not a uh, stevie ray vaughn guitar player i i play just enough to get it done right you're not going to hire me for your session but um so there's something to be said for the simplicity of just having the root allows your voice to take you to different melodies 
Well, you know, and, and we'll get into this into the songwriting section, but you know, Nashville, a lot of people say three chords and the truth. Yeah. That whole simplicity thing, if you're too good an instrument, maybe you're gonna write a song that is not gonna be in that commercial realm. Exactly. It could be a great song. Yeah. But anyway, so you're you're in college, you write the song for a girl, and does that kind of start oh I'm gonna I enjoy writing songs and you keep doing it there? Is that kind of how it's the first drop in the ocean? It did. It yeah. was. Because then I started playing for people that would come and sit in my dorm room and listen yeah you know yeah yeah. and they seemed to like it and they seemed engaged by what i was writing and singing and all that and so, so up until now what were you studying at college up until now was music at all a focal thing man yes i mean it, it wasn't it wasn't music uh when i was my dad still to this day and my stepmom play music they they call square dances and they go mm. around well when i was a kid i used to sit on the edge of the stage and be real proud that that was my dad up there playing so guitar cool. and singing songs yeah and he'd written a couple himself and um so uh you know i, I definitely had that influence and even though um my parents were divorced and i grew up in my mother took my older brother, my younger brother, and me to live when when she and my dad parted ways to live with her parents. So I grew up in my grandparents' house mm. with my mother and my two brothers. Uh, I still saw my dad with regularity, yeah. And he usually was playing. He played almost every weekend, sometimes Friday and Saturday night both. And so I was real influenced by that. And so he. Uh, really encouraged my brother who's a couple years older than me to play guitar so my brother started playing guitar when he was eight yeah and um, you know uh, my dad then encouraged me to get a, get a bass guitar and start playing along with my brother because cool. he was saying you guys could you guys could do all be out, in bands yeah. together and stuff and so yeah that's kind of how it got going and in Ninth grade, I got in my first band with my brother, a couple of good friends, people that I still have relationships with now, and we would play the high school type activity nights yeah, and yeah. dances or, or battle the bands type thing, battle or, the yeah, bands yeah. and that type of thing. And so yeah, and so that's how it got going. Well, in the after that band broke, you know, kind of broke up just by virtue of people going in different directions because you're young in yeah. high school, but um. I, my brother was very, his name's Kyle, he was very, you know, he always had music as his goal, as his dream profession and all that. And I always thought, man, you can't really make a living wow. <laughs> playing music. Right. And so I decided to go to college to like do something. Get a real job. Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was that? What were you going to do? Well, I mean, my freshman year when I was at Arizona State, I majored in geography, okay. you know, and I didn't really know what. I just liked earth sciences and stuff like that. But then I transferred to Cornell after one year, and uh, Cornell is the College of Agriculture. Okay. has a College of Agriculture. It's a statutory college for the state of New York. So I ended up rubbing elbows with a bunch of Aggies. Mm. And found out that I really liked them and wow. liked what what farming was about, sure. and so I was majoring in communication arts. You know, there was some writing there, radio, television, writing, sure. that type of thing, um, public speaking, blah blah blah, that that sort of thing. So I I was getting some of that, but I was also um, 
taking ag business courses, farm business management, and falling in love with the with the prospect of being a farmer. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated from Cornell, I went to work on a vegetable farm. Very cool. And spent seven years. Seven years. Working on a vegetable farm during the day, playing in, playing in a band at night. In upstate New York? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 25 acres and roadside seven market. Years. Wow, okay. Yeah. And making music for fun, for the joy of it. Yep. And then writing songs while I was picking beans or riding a tractor. Or yeah, or picking, picking beans and picking strings. Yeah, there you, <laughs> there you go. And so, seven years go by. Is that when you're in the band at that point? Well, uh, that was all happening during this time. Okay. Like, and like I was playing at night in in what became the Long Shots. Wow. So okay. I was playing this band Southbound and um, actually had. So let's see, I graduated 81. So I went to work on the farm in 81. And in 85, I was scoping out um, a vegetable farm. Or 84, I probably was scoping out, a, or a fruit farm, a, a apple farm in the Finger Lakes region of New York, out where uh, I still have family. That's where my, my paternal grandparents lived. And I have aunts and uncles and cousins out mm. there. And this apple farm came on the market. It was relatively, you know, it looked like something I could wrap my ag degree around. Yeah. And we ended up getting this record deal offer at the same time. So I was like, well, I'll make enough money, you know, being a famous re- recording touring star. And um, I could buy a farm at that point, you know. Wow. So it really came that down. That was the motive. That was, okay. yeah, that was the thing was like, I, that was the point of, am I going to plunge headlong into agriculture or am I going to give music a chance and I gave music a chance okay and but you gave music a chance in order to buy the farm someday well in the back of my mind it's interesting it's never happened well no but I mean yeah right but but the the priority switched it did by absolutely by the dominoes and so the band took off successful you get a record deal then the record deal dropped you guys, but you still sought out, you had business industry savvy at that point, and you sought out a publishing deal because you loved songwriting. Is that kind of connecting the whole thing there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but at the end of it, yeah, I, I realized that you need so much capital yeah. to, to really start a farm, and uh, which is what I would have to do. It's not like some, oftentimes it's the, it's the uh, hierarchy of you know, uh, if I, if I if my parents were farmers, it would, would have been easier for me to get into it. You know, and so I, I by the end of the record deal, we were so broke we qualified for food stamps, and so we didn't wow. even yeah I didn't I didn't take them, but we qualified. Yeah, and um, it was at some so it, there was a point of to some degree desperation to find something that I could do uh, to and. Uh, so you know, moving to Nashville, we we were at the end of I was doing telemarketing jobs at yeah. night and all of this type of stuff that was just kind of like, man, this is not happening. I already, my wife and I had already been married for seven years, um, had two kids, and yeah. unbeknownst to us, when we moved to Nashville, one on the way, and so I just was like, you know, by the time I I I, I got I, I when I recognized that. I had the potential to to make a living writing songs. That's when I pulled the trigger to move to Nashville from upstate New York. Okay. And was it fairly, did you get a publishing deal fairly quickly? I got one quickly because of, I mentioned it a little earlier, how a record deal, like 
you're sitting on the other side of a desk of a publisher. They're playing you songs because you can potentially make them money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I developed some relationships with publishers. And so I, I went back to them after I lost the record deal. But you see, I still had recording artist potential. I was still young enough that in their eyes, if they saw me as being a potential recording artist, that also is potential income for them for as sure. a publisher. If, if I write my own songs, record my own songs, have hits with my own songs, then they're, they're going to want to jump on that. Yeah, that bandwagon, you know. So who did you who did you sign with coming here? Uh, my very first publishing deal was with a company called Merit Music that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. But a guy named Mike Whalen was the guy. I went I went to to Woody Bomar. He had a company called Little Big Town Music, and he was a well respected um, music publisher. And uh, I went to him, and he said, "I can't do the deal with you. I'm not, I don't have a spot for you, but I know a, a company that's." got what you're looking for mm -hmm. and so he hooked me up with Mike Whalen at uh, Merit Music and they signed me and that deal lasted for a couple of years okay and so you told me before that from when you moved to Nashville today it's been about 30 years mm -hmm. so that's a lot of songwriting world to you know to sum up but I guess if you could take a look back on these 30 years of actually being a professional songwriter you know what sticks out to you how would you describe them um, I know it's a lot, but I guess, you know, you've had big hits. I'm guessing sometimes a drought. What, you know, how would you describe those 30 years? It's still a learning mm. curve. There's still a learning curve. And uh, even at my age and as long as I've been in it, I have to because things change all the time. Um, it was an exercise in oftentimes futility or what felt like futility. Um, it was very, it was character building because I thought I was going to come and I think a lot of people come and think they're going to take the town by storm. Hot shot new writer. Yeah. Hits, hits, hits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just, I had no idea. I had no idea hmm. what I was, what, what I was in store for. And there were times when I wanted to quit. Hmm. Uh, and I just couldn't think of anything else to do. I mean, wow, it was yeah. really... Almost like there, my wife and I, you know, it 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 both tested our marriage and strengthened it at yeah. the same time. Um, I, it's really, I, you know, it's it's not unlike farming in some ways because, and I I jokingly said this about my wife is like, man, unfortunately, she fell in love with a guy who like went after things that were a ton of work and don't really have a big payoff. Hmm. And so, you know, unfortunately for her, but um, that's that's the nature of the business. Right. You know, there's a lot of things out of your control. Like when you're a farmer, you can't control the weather. You can't control market prices. Um, it's a lot of work to try to control the pests that are trying to destroy your, your living. Yeah. Well, Music is the same way. You can't control the tastes of the public. You can't control the direction of of where music goes. You can't con control whether somebody decides to put your song out as a single or not. Right. Yeah. Whether they decide to put the muster behind it to make it a hit or not. You know what I mean? It's like all of those types of things that are... You kind of have to have a faith mm. that 
you're doing the right thing even though and you don't see results immediately when you're a farmer you sock seeds in the ground you don't it's a long time before you get a yield off of that yeah it's the same thing with songs you know you're writing songs and am i is anybody gonna like this does anybody care uh it's that Mm. type of thing big questions yeah yeah um i guess yeah how have you you know you talk about there being those ups and downs how have you weathered the those 30 years like how have you made it through I think faith has a lot to, to do with it. For me, it did. Um, I uh, I think having at least one person in your camp hmm. uh, who can say when things aren't really going, the, when you're questioning yourself and questioning your your work, just having that one person that can say, man, I'm behind you. And, wow. and I had that in... You know, each step along the way, and I'm saying someone besides your family, your wife, yeah, your yeah. family, yeah. You know, I mean, I had I took a walk with my dad, who's the music guy that I was telling you about, and I was like, man, and I'd been in it, who knows how long, probably five years, and I had just had the disappointment of having, um, they they had what you call CD pros, where it would have that's P R O S, you know, where it would have your song on it three times like if it was going to be a single they'd put the song on three times and on a, on a cd and send the cd to the radio station so they didn't have to hit re, you know play it again play it again yeah. it would just repeat itself three times without them having to turn around and touch the cd machine and um the cd player and so my song i had a leon womack song called montgomery to memphis on a cd pro and it was supposed to be the fourth song off the first album and she had had some success and um, I was up in upstate New York visiting we were visiting family and I got a call from my publisher and they said I got some bad news and I'm like I already know what it is somebody sat in a boardroom and decided you know that that wasn't gonna be the single even after I had the CD Pro in my hands and I was two weeks away from you know the that CD being shipped to radio to go for ads and all of that yeah it was it was tough man it was a punch in the face a punch in the gut all at the same time and and um so i took a walk with my dad after that and i was like man i I really need to think of something else to do i mean i'm not i don't feel like i'm providing for my family and i've got wife and three kids i really need to grow up and you know i figured he would be like yeah you know yeah it's it's time you know but his response was you can't quit now you you have you know too many people you've come too far you're you've done too much and i'm just like what Hmm. are you kidding me and uh truth is i really didn't have anything else to do so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you needed to hear that it's special it's special um all right all right, so I want to turn this. I want to turn this a little more into the about the the songwriting process. You know, okay. talk a little bit about that. You know, thirty years of doing this professionally. After all that, would you say you have a process? Yeah, I don't live by it all the time. Yeah, but I do have a process. I, I like to start with it with a title. Okay. And my reasoning for that is there. I've embarked on writing a song many times, gotten to you know where the hook is gonna go and the hook without having one and have a great verse a really great chorus that I'm excited about and then failed to come up with a hook that lived up to the rest of the song Mm -hmm. and so I think for 
my um, peace of mind. Yeah. I like to start with a title. It can just be words that sound good together. Like it doesn't even have to really mean anything. And then figure out what that song means. You know, okay. figure out what that title means or what those words mean. And then uh, I co-write 99% of the time. Yeah. The advantages of that are instant gratification or not gratification, instant uh, approval or not approval. Like you, you're playing off of each other yeah. and, and, you know, learning from each other and that kind of thing. And if I'm not bringing it one day, my co-writer hopefully is. Same thing if I'm bring if I am bringing it one day, my co-writer doesn't have to be. You know what I'm saying? It's right. just like this great um, time of trying to make the song the best it can be. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we'll figure out what the song's about, kind of mess around with some grooves and melodies and stuff like that, and then um, just see where it takes us that day. Do you? Um... Are you of the school that you capture ideas throughout your life, or do you walk into a writing session with a blank slate and want to see what's there to capture that day in the room? Uh, that's a good question. A little of both, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm usually... I, if, if you're starting with words, I'm kind of curious to see... Like, I don't like to have very often too much. Yeah, limit yourself by too much. Yeah, I mean, because then I might be stifling the my co-writer or something, or... If I'm gonna get that much, it it just it always depends. I've I've broken every rule. I continue to break every rule that I ever make for myself. Sure. If there's is such a thing, but you know I've I've had hits that didn't that started with concepts. Yeah, I hardly ever do that anymore. Start with a concept, but hmm. um, to where we had to find a hook. Right. Okay. You know, we had a concept. We had a mu- We had music. Where's the hook, you know, and, and or what's the hook? Um, but um, I kind of like, I like the process of us both or all three of us finding our way at the same time. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you talk about the hits. You've had some hits like More Than a Memory, Hard to Love, those things. When you're in the room, do you know something special is happening when a song like that starts to get written? Or is it every time, more or less, you're just like, we don't know, and we'll let this one fly and see what happens? I don't know if they're hits. I know I know if a song has something special yeah. going on. What is that? What makes a song special? Uh, for me, is if it moves me okay. in the right. You know, I mean, like, if I'm, like, that close to it, and I'm still, like... Or if you play it for somebody right after, and you and you're getting and you get this reaction. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more than a memory was we had a verse and a chorus. It was it was Lee Bryce's idea. He and Kyle Jacobs had had started it and had this musical thing going on that was extremely powerful to me. And but but it started with them just coming up and saying, "Man, we got this idea, and we think you're the guy to write it with us." It's, what are you calling it? More than a memory. I'm like, well, man, I love that. Like, I loved that the title, like, I knew right away she wasn't just a memory, she was more than a memory. Yeah. yeah. Like, I knew that just by those four words, you know? And so, um, but when we went across the street to the writer's building and we wrote the first verse and the first chorus, um, somebody, one of our publishers came over and we played the verse and the chorus and he was just like, oh my gosh, you have to finish that today. That is a monster. And mm-hmm. so when you get that kind of reinforcement, yeah. Yeah. 
cool. gives you the confidence to uh, I mean we knew we had something we yeah. loved it that's why we played it for him but that was just kind of like yeah man talk about great songs you know obviously there's great songs you've written but what are you for you outside of you stands as these archetypes of great songs what for you is I guess you know an example that I don't want to say you aspire to, but you know you hold in real high regard. There's ton- there's tons of them. It's really hard to nail one down. But I I have recently like a song like Eleanor Rigby. Sure, is a song that does it for me with in this regard. Um, in a very short span of time, they were able to develop the personalities and the stories of the characters in that song very quickly and those and yeah. and that character development is happens like fast and it's, it's yeah it's, interesting yeah yeah but and it doesn't end there with that song then they turned it into a universal song of ah look at all the lonely people ah look at all the lonely people you know yeah. where do they all come from so it's saying something more like like Father Mackenzie and Eleanor Rigby are just tips of the iceberg. They're the they're the example of the all the other lonely people in the world. Yeah, because it's um, you know that's a wonderful song, but I never thought it was wonderful because of that. I thought it was just beautiful music. That the music came out to me, but I guess it's not See, a, I'm a great lyric song. guy. Well, sure, but the fact that they can speak on those two levels is pretty awesome. Right? Yeah. Makes for... That's why I can say, man, that's a great song. Yeah. So, um, again, all these you've co-written with, who knows, maybe a thousand people, thousands of songs, whatever. What are some of the chief lessons that you've learned, you know, rubbing shoulders with all these different writers? You know, there's been some really... uh, A lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff that has probably formed me and changed me and... Um, I'll tell you one thing, uh, and this actually happened. I was with two other songwriters doing a Nashville Songwriters Association um, song camp, I think it was. And so people were asking questions and tweeting in questions. And uh, I'll give Clay Mills was the guy that, that came up with the answer for this. So... It, I've never forgotten this though and it it really changed the way I looked at at writing uh, is that somebody tweeted in the question how many of your what percentage of your songs have made you income you know (laughs) yeah I'm thinking point oh yeah yeah that's where my mind went and Clay said 100% and I was like oh I know where you're going with this and he said he said if I don't write that song on Tuesday that that particular song doesn't make me any money. I don't get to that song that I write on Wednesday that ends up being the hit for so-and-so. Beautiful. And I was like, dang. Yeah, beautiful. That is so right. Mm. So uh, I value, I, I, I learned to value every day. I also have learned to not put a lot of pressure, mm. to not put as much pressure on on myself and my co-writing situation um, to come up with something to uh, because sometimes that's actually stifling yeah okay you need to uh, 
I've begun to, and here fairly recently, just have a good day. I just want to have a good day. Okay. If I don't come up with a song, if I don't finish a song, it ain't the end of the world. And maybe I feel differently about it because I've I've had some hits, but I still I haven't had enough hits. I'm not finished not writing. I'm I'm still a goal oriented person. I still yeah. I mean I want to keep doing it. I, and you want somebody. The thing about <clears throat> songwriting is you want somebody to acknowledge that you want somebody other than your wife and your mother and mm-hmm. father to hear your songs. Right. And so it's not it's not a money thing. It's more just like. A validation, I suppose, uh, that I'm doing something good. It's like that one person that we talked about earlier. When that one person says, "I like what you're doing," yeah, um, it 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 gives you a little bit more um, confidence. Yeah, that you're barking up the right tree instead of the wrong tree. So let's say you come across. A 22-year-old that just moved to Nashville tomorrow. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to him or her? You know, coming as a songwriter, what would you say? I I think we've covered some of that, and just sure. what we just spoke about was, you know, that uh, you need to enjoy the process. Okay. Because again, those things that are out of out of your control, you know, the climate, the, uh, you know the markets where the songs are going to go you have you have to do the best job you have to write the best song you can write for that day and what what makes the best song well some songs are entertaining some songs are for strictly for entertainment some songs are tongue in cheek some songs are you know saying something important yeah. for an emotional thing or a social thing or uh, whatever you know uh, so so those are the types of things that, you know, just maximize the day. Have, have the best day you can. It's all you got. Yeah, it is all you got. Um, so I want to turn this a little bit into the direction of, this is called Music City Songwriter. Music City, Nashville. Um, you've seen it change, I'm sure, throughout, you know, this big arch of 30 years of it. You know, I guess, how would you, what has changed the most about it since you got here and... How would you characterize it? How is it a part of you? How are you a part of it? You know, break it down. You know. The, the, what's changed the most, it's, it's not so much the songwriting process. Yeah. Um, what's changed the most is the business around which we write songs. Hmm. So, and, and some of that has to do with the way music is bought and sold. Yeah. These days. The dawn of streaming. And, yeah. 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 And, uh, so a lot of that has changed where, um, and again, that's something that was, who, who can control that? Nobody, yeah. I mean, that's just a function of improved, um, you know, digital creation, yeah. you know? I mean, that's just, that's the nature of it, I suppose. And, and availability, um, you know, what the, what the internet has done to, for exposure for music there's just there's so much of it out there um so many good songs and so many good artists and um so i think that's that's a little bit different I, the process hasn't changed a ton except that there's times when you might start you might write with a, a, somebody that builds tracks sure 
and that's a that's a little bit different. But you know what? My some of my first demos that I ever did in town, the guy I didn't write the songs with him, but I went to this guy's studio and he put a drum track down and he put hmm. a bass on top of it and he put his acoustic guitar on top of it and put electric guitar on top and then I sang them. I mean, what, what's the difference? Right. You know? Some would say I mean, for efficiency, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and we got great sound and demos, you know. So it isn't. Um, there's not a ton new I think I think styles yeah. musical styles go I remember writing um, for somebody who a publisher who said hey write me honky tonk songs honky tonk songs are happening now hmm. so that was a very evident thing and then I think I I think I remember we had a spell what was called the hat axe so it was axe, hat axe. Hat, cowboy hats oh okay, okay. Tracy axe. Bird yeah yeah Tracy Lawrence um, Alan Jackson, sure. Clint George Black, Strait. George Strait. All of a sudden, everybody that came out was wearing a cowboy hat. Huh. So that was that. That was a hat act era. Yeah. And then um, I remember an era where women dominated. You're talking Leah Rhymes, Shania Twain, Dixie Chicks, that kind of time. Yeah, it was really, uh, really mid '90s, I think. Uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Patty Loveless. Martina McBride, yeah. you know, acts like that, and and I remember radio stations complaining that there wasn't enough testosterone on the air. Wow, rooms. that's almost completely the opposite today. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Wow, yeah, kind of, kind of amazing. Yeah. So yeah, where? How would you call? What would you call today? What era is today? I mean, it's hard to see it while you're in it. But yeah, I mean, I think we're coming to the end of the you know of the more like bro country type stuff you know um where do you think it's going if this i've been wrong so many times yeah and why waste time trying to guess i guess yeah i i i love that i love that people seem to be able to get on the cutting edge of that stuff but i can't claim to be that guy i i thought when oh brother where art thou came out and and that soundtrack was so successful i was like hey we're going to be entering into uh an organic phase of bluegrass pop kind of thing yeah yeah and i was like with real instrumentation and real vocals and yeah i was 100 percent wrong on that there's still hope but yeah that was a while ago (laughs) what a good movie that would be something and the soundtrack was sick incredible Uh, yeah yeah man it was just incredible but uh, anyway, uh, where is it going? I don't know. I think, you know, and, and, and I'm only one guy, and I only have, and I have the songs that I liked. And I, and I mentioned the guys that I was influenced by and inspired by, and a lot of them were like, like songs that had something to say. Hmm. Yeah. And you can't have just that. You can't, that would be, you know, you can't have just anything. Hmm. You have to have it, you have to have all these different things sprinkled in there. Uh, because if I only listened to songs that had something to say, or only wrote songs that had, had something to say, when I say had something to say, I'm talking about introspective, yeah. deep mm-hmm. feeling, you know, I mean, I love songs like that. I love writing songs like that. I try to write songs like that. But I also wrote a song called Suds in the Bucket. (laughs) 
Gotcha. And that, and that yeah, doesn't... It's not much introspection. There's very little introspection in that song. It was a fun, entertaining song. Yeah. It was successful uh, with regard to that when we embarked on writing that song we wanted to that was the song i was talking about that we started with the concept we wanted to write a song about a young girl growing up and leaving home quickly so well how do you say that so we had music and it was we were writing it for actually for leanne womack was looking for a traditional up-tempo fun country song and that's what it said on the pitch sheet you know and so we were writing janai and i were writing for that project and so we we, that was the thing. Hey, a girl leaving. We thought that'd make a good, you know, leaving Louisiana in the broad daylight. Or, hmm. you know, Bonnie Raitt had a song, you know, hey, daddy, get your gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you right, know, right. Sister uh-huh. left and sister met a boy and done run or whatever. And it was really hillbilly. And so we were like, let's get into the heads of the characters. And when we came out, it was like, yeah, we became those characters, sort of, even though it's a narrative, it's a third person, the language that we used, you know. Little ponytail girl growed up to be a woman. Now she's gone in the blink of an eye. We said "growed" on purpose. Oh, right, interesting. Okay, you know, to I mean, add that helping to create that environment of the character, exactly that character of the character, exactly. Yeah, um, right. So you got to have a song library in the world for all moods. Is what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we'd all be. Too serious. It was all introspection all the time. Exactly. Existential freaks. But we also know that music is a great communicator. I mean, I think think Dylan in the 60s and some of the protests were labeled protest songs of the 60s that were saying socially important things had a lot to do with shaping culture. For sure. And so I think think songs can be a powerful Mm. communicator as well. Um, So yeah, there's, there's a little bit of all of it. Yeah. Well, to put a bow on this, I'd like to turn this towards something a little song outside of songwriting at the end. Is You know, obviously, you're a songwriter, but before that, you're a person, you know, you're a family man, you're a friend. I guess, ultimately, what's your purpose? What's your goal, you know, either through music or outside of it? What, what do you want to say? Well, you know, I, I, I love that you said that because I've... I've told people and I didn't think this earlier in my career that but the truth is songwriting is what I do it's not who I am yeah absolutely and and really it's that way with everybody I think you know let don't don't confuse that you know that, that it's um, that said I you know, if I was to like, how would I want to be remembered as a songwriter? Well, I would want to be remembered as a songwriter whose songs spoke into people's lives for whatever reason, however. And that's, I think that's what every songwriter wants, I think. It's it's not about, it's, I, I would want somebody to just say, man, that dude could write a song. Hmm. You know, that dude could write a song because, you know, for whatever reason, either... It, it hit a nerve with some emotional thing or, um, you know, and I, I, I've been blessed with songs that have done done that with hits that, that are songs that people would know right. that have done a little bit of each of those things. Oh, yeah. You know, like my first hit was a song called Bring on the Rain. And even though it's one person saying, hey, give me the challenges 
I can take it. Uh, that we have heard so many stories of people that either were going through cancer treatments or had a family member that was going through cancer treatments or some loss that they were like, that was my go-to song. Wow, man. That was my song that got me through that period, that season of my life. And it's just like, okay, that's why I got into songwriting. Yeah. But then when you play, if I'm doing a writer's night and I'm playing Suds in the Bucket and everybody's singing along and clapping their hands and smiling and whooping it up, well, there's the entertainment value yeah. of that. And then uh, more than a memory was more of a, a relationship uh, song that what I loved about that song is even though that wasn't my story, I could I could relate to that story. Like I could relate to missing somebody so much that you can't get them out of your out of your brain, you mm. know. And then the hard to love has some of my some of my favorite one of my favorite second verses because it talks about it talks about faith without being a preachy song, you know. It says I'm a, I'm a short fuse, I'm a wrecking ball crashing into your heart like crashing into your heart like I do. You're like a Sunday morning full of grace and full of Jesus. I wish I could be more like you. And so you got the you basically have the song saying that the singer desires to be more like Jesus, have more grace, have more forgiveness. Yeah. And so I think so that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it. Sure. It doesn't, you know. So anyway, I've I'm blessed that you know, those recognizable songs are what they are. And um, I, I can't, uh, I, I couldn't ask for much more than that. Right. Well, we'll end it on that note of gratitude. And, and uh, I guess I would just ask, uh, is there anywhere where listeners can, can find you, can reach out to you online, any social media, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I have a Facebook page and I have uh you know, just Billy Montana, and then BillyMontana.com is a website where I try to keep it up to date with yeah. dates, and um, you can reach me through that. But uh, yeah, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, Billy, thank you for being here. Wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Billy Montana. Definitely connect with him online, stay up to date with what he's doing, and of course, stay connected with us. We are Music City Songwriter on Facebook and Instagram, at Nash City Podcast on Twitter, and if you need to email us, we are Music City Songwriter at gmail.com. But thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much.